Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson. Papa, can you tell me a story? Do you really want me to tell you a story? (laughs) Well, you go get your brother and your sisters and I will tell you a story. Welcome to Devotions with Dr. Papa. Today I want to answer a question, which is this. When do you have to decide to follow your conscience? When do you have to decide to follow your conscience? Well, let's look at a Bible story in the book of Esther. And it involves her uncle, whose name was Mordecai. Well, if you remember the story of Esther, there was a, a king named Ahasuerus, who threw a party that lasted 180 days. Now listen, I've been to parties that lasted four or five hours, and by the end of that time, I was exhausted and ready to go home. Can you imagine throwing a party that lasted 180 days and inviting all the royalty from 127 provinces? Oh my goodness gracious a party that lasted 180 days. Well, at the end of this time, the king invited his queen, whose name was Vashti, V-A-S-H-T-I, Vashti, to come and display her beauty. The Bible says that she was exceptionally beautiful. But the queen refused. The Bible doesn't tell us why. We can only speculate why she declined. But the king became so enraged that he banished her from being the queen in his vast domain. And then a beauty pageant was held, and many hundreds of young women participated in the beauty pageant to see who would replace Queen Vashti. Well, you know the end of the story. The Jewish girl named Esther was chosen by the king, and she became the replacement for Queen Vashti. In the course of events, in the course of time, her uncle, whose name was Mordecai, overheard two of the king's servants, gatekeepers, planning to lay hands on the king and bring him harm. Mordecai informed Esther. She informed the king. These two men were found out, and they were hanged. All of this was in, uh, recorded in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings. Well, more time passes by, and a man named Haman becomes second in command to the king. And everyone in the kingdom is required to bow down before Haman and pay homage to him because of his royal presence. Well, everyone bows and pays homage except for Esther's uncle Mordecai, because he has to vote his conscience. You see, Mordecai is an Orthodox Jew. He's not going to bow the knee for any common man. It doesn't matter if he's a king or second to the king. He's not going to bow the knee. Only God deserves that privilege. Mordecai is not the only one who's voted his conscience in this manner. Daniel, before him, refused to bow the knee to the 90-foot 
golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had erected and said that everyone in the kingdom should bow and worship the image. As soon as he knew that the image had been built and the edict had been signed, Daniel went to his apartment, he opened the window, and three times that day, in front of God and man, he bowed the knee and worshipped towards Jerusalem, worshipping the true and living God. He voted his conscience, and he violated the commandment of a man, a mere man. So did Mordecai. He voted his conscience. You see, you have to understand that Mordecai decided in advance how he would perform, how he would act, how he would follow his conscience. And the Bible says that the other servants of the king were in consternation that Mordecai would not bow the knee before Haman. They were filled with consternation. What was the consternation, I'm sorry, what was the consequence of Mordecai following his conscience? Well, first, the fellow servants were filled with consternation, but then Haman, who was second in command to the king, was filled with rage. And Haman, rather than just trying to punish Mordecai, decided that he would lay hands on every Jew in all of King Ahasuerus's 127 provinces. In other words, he planned a genocide of the entire Jewish population. And the Bible says that the city of Susa, which was the capital city of the entire kingdom, was thrown into confusion. Now, I call the book of Esther a book of reversals. There are multiple reversals coordinated and orchestrated by the Lord God Almighty. Now, let's look at some of these reversals. First, Haman, just a common man, was elevated and honored by becoming the second in command to the king himself. And then Mordecai, a Jewish man, a common man, was imperiled because he voted his conscience and would not bow the knee to Haman, who was just a mortal man. Esther, a common Jewish girl, was elevated to become the queen of the kingdom. And then because of her uncle voting his conscience and refusing to bow the knee to a mortal man, Esther was imperiled. Mordecai was imperiled. Every Jew in the entire kingdom was imperiled. Then, because the king could not sleep one night, he stays up late, he reads the chronicles of the kingdom, and lo and behold, he reads the story of Mordecai rescuing his life from the two gatekeepers who planned to lay hold of him and bring him harm. And he asked the question, what has been done to honor Mordecai? His fellow servants say, well, sir, nothing has been done. So he plans to honor Mordecai. At that moment, Haman, who is planning to bring harm to Mordecai, presents himself in the outer chamber. The king comes, beckons him to come in and says, 
what should be done for the man that the king plans to honor. And in his pride and arrogance, Haman says, who would the king like to honor more than myself? And so he says, this man should be placed on the royal steed on which the king has ridden and the king's royal robe placed around his shoulders, and a crown that the king has worn on his head should be placed on this man's head, and he should be paraded around the, the court in front of the castle, and, and it should be said that every man should bow before this man whom the king plans to honor. And the king says to him immediately, Take Mordecai the Jew, and do for him just as you have said. And this man, Haman, who had previously been elevated, was humiliated before Mordecai, the Jew whom he planned to have killed. What a reversal, a divinely orchestrated reversal. So here goes Haman putting Mordecai on a royal steed, putting a royal robe around his shoulders and a crown on his head. And he has to walk him around the court in front of the castle shouting, this is how the king honors a man in whom he is well pleased. And then Haman goes back to his home, tells the family how he has been humiliated. And the family says to him, Oh, Haman, you are beginning to fall before this man, Mordecai. Well, Esther then invites the king and Haman to a series of banquets. She approaches the king unannounced, and he extends his scepter to her. Her life is imperiled when she approaches the king unannounced. And then he extends his scepter to her. She is accepted by the king. She is in his good graces. And then Esther exposes Haman. He is humiliated and then he is executed for his crimes. Furthermore, Mordecai then takes Haman's place of position and power and influence in the kingdom. And all of the Jews who were scheduled for genocide in all of the 127 provinces are delivered because of Mordecai's faithfulness. And God honors this Jewish uncle named Mordecai who voted his conscience. So let me ask you a question again. When do you decide to follow your conscience? Well, let me ask you another question. When do you look for a fire escape? When do you look for the exit? You see, when you go into a crowded theater, the first thing you do when you sit down is you look for the exit. You look for the fire exit. When you go into a tall building, the first thing you do is you look for the fire escape. Because if there is a fire, if there is chaos and confusion, it's too late then to look around to find the fire escape and the fire exit. When you sit on an airplane, the first thing you do is you look for the fire escape, for the escape hatch. Because if the lights go out, if there's problems with the airplane, it's too late to start groping in the darkness for the exits. You need to know where they are in advance. And if life comes crashing down on you, if the opposition of the enemy 
and those who hate God start to squeeze you, it's too late to begin thinking, will I or won't I vote my conscience? Will I follow the commands of God, the will of God in my life? It's too late then. You have to decide in advance. When I was in my medical residency, one night, in the middle of the night, a resident comes to me, a third-year resident, when I'm a second-year resident, and says to me, I want you to give this suppository to this woman to induce an abortion. The baby has issues. She doesn't want to, to have this baby. And you're the one on call. I'm going to be at home tonight. I want you to give this suppository to induce labor early. The woman was 22 weeks pregnant. And I looked at him and I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. That would be an abortion. And it would, it would cause the premature death of that little baby. And he looked at me shocked. And he said, you have to do this. You're the one that's on call. And I said, no, sir, I don't have to do this. And I said, you'll have to come in from your house at, at the proper hour and give that suppository yourself because I'm not going to do it. Well, you see, I had already determined in my heart year before, maybe two years before, that I would never participate in an abortion procedure. I had already made my decision. There was no decision to be made that night, in the dark of the night. There was no thinking. There was no calculating. I had made my decision long in advance. And this doctor was shocked that I would say no. And he looks at me and said, you know, you could lose your position in this residency program and you can be fired. And I told him, I said, that may well be, but I will not participate in the murder of an unborn child. And he says, well, I'll have to talk to the doctors that are above me. Well, sure enough, two different doctors called me and said, you have to give this suppository. Now, these were attending physicians. And I told both of them, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. Well, then it went all the way to the the attending physician who supervised the OBGYN part of our residency. And when it got to him, he said, he's exactly right. You cannot violate this young doctor's conscience. You cannot compel him to do anything that violates his conscience. And he came to my rescue. God bless him. And I did not have to participate. That third year resident from another medical university came in that night administered the suppository the next day that woman went into premature labor the baby was born alive and rather than being wrapped in a warm blanket and carried to the neonatal intensive care unit and nurtured and protected that baby was placed in a cold metal basin taken away from his mother and put in a in a room all by itself I happened to walk through the ward at that time and I could hear the mother weeping and wailing. I saw nurses that were weeping and I heard that little baby crying. He was old enough that he could cry and struggle for his life. And after a couple of hours, that little baby died. He expired by neglect and exposure. But I had nothing to do with it. My conscience was clear. I was broken hearted but my conscience was clear that I had nothing to do with it. Brothers and sisters, you will be confronted with issues like that in your life. And you must decide in advance how you will follow your conscience. There are vaccine mandates. There are lockdowns. 
There are all manner of issues that will confront you and me going forward in the world in which we live. And you have to decide in advance how you will follow your conscience. Will it always turn out well for you and for me? No, of course not. Many Christians died in the Colosseum in Rome, in the mouths of lions, or by the swords of gladiators. And many Christians have lost their jobs over the years because they chose to vote their conscience, to follow their conscience. It's always better to have a clear conscience before God than a good or a longer life with a tarnished testimony and a violated or guilty conscience. We all have to stand before God one day, the ultimate and final judge of the heavens and the earth. We must all give account to Him one day. It is better to please God than to please man. It is better to please God than to save your skin. It is better to please God than to gain an advantage with men. It is better to please God than to keep a job. It's better to go to the grave a pauper, a prisoner, despised and rejected by men, than to disappoint Him who gave His all for me and Himself was despised and rejected by men. Jesus said that if we are ashamed of Him before men, that He would be ashamed of us before His heavenly Father. You see, when I follow my conscience and I adhere to biblical principles of life, then I am being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not being ashamed of Jesus. I don't ever want to be ashamed of Jesus or His Word or biblical principles of life. Be confident that your personal principles are rooted in both biblical and constitutional truths. Then decide in advance that you will, by God's grace, stand by your conscience regardless of what others do and regardless of the consequences. Mordecai wasn't the only Jew in Susa. He was the only Jew that refused to violate his conscience by bowing the knee to another mortal man. What will you do when everyone else bows the knee or complies, or accepts the mandate, or violates their conscience. My challenge to you and to myself is that we must decide in advance and pray daily for God's grace in our lives. You're listening to Devotions with Dr. Papa. If you like what you hear, please follow, like, or share. Let your friends know about Devotions with Dr. Papa. And I'd like to remind you that I have three books that I would like to share with you that has additional Bible teaching. My first book is The Truth About Life. The second book is The Truth About Seed Planting, Equipping Believers for Evangelism. And the third book is Turkey Tales and Bible Truths. Uh, It talks about my uh, favorite hobby, which is turkey hunting, but each hunting tale segues immediately into Bible teaching. These books are available on Amazon. Or you can email us at Jackson Family Ministry and we'll be glad to to mail you a copy. I thank you for listening and I pray that God will bless you real good.
Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.